You know, we serve a mighty God, a wonderful God. And the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. And you know, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing sometimes when we lose a, a loved one. And if you don't know, uh, Bill Mock passed away. Um, he had hip replacement surgery this week and came through the surgery fine. But then he, a little bit later, he had a blood clot, and the Lord called him home. And this is Beverly Mock's husband. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it, hits host, it hits close to home. And, um, you know, it's easy for us sometimes to uh, think maybe we've got it worse than everybody else. But we recognize that, um, you know, this is part of our family. And so we want to just pause and, and lift them before the Lord. I know there's others that had surgeries this week and other things going on and, and uh, other battles that are being fought, but let's just pause and, and, and lift up those uh, who are grieving and, and who are uh, in need of a touch from the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. And we worship you because you, you are great. You are sovereign in all the earth. God, there is no one like you. And Father, we, we bow before you, knowing that you are in control of all things. And Father, we, we lift up the Mock family. We ask God that you would be with them during this time. I pray, Father, for your peace and your comfort over them. I ask for your grace and your mercy. Father, for those who've had surgeries or are healing, I pray, Father, for a special touch from you. I ask, God, that you would just continue uh, to show yourself mighty. And, Father, we ask these things because we know that you are more than able. Father, we know that you could do abundantly beyond anything we could think or ask. Father, it is because of your great name. It is because of the promises in your word. It is because of who you are that we ask these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, this morning I, I would like to uh, come out of the book of Job in our Connect group. We've been reading through the Daily Bible. And um, this past couple of weeks we've been in the book of Job. And um, it really got me to doing some thinking. And it, it's probably not a good thing when I start thinking. Um, but uh, I, was, I was reading this, and, and one of the things that, that came to me was, was, why is life so difficult? I mean, sometimes it seems like, you know, we can feel worse for us than we can for anybody else. We think, why is this happening to me? Why am I dealing with this? And, and, and really, you know, part of the reason that life seems so difficult is because of the shallowness of our lives. You think about this. We try very hard to live a comfortable life. And the question we find ourselves asking can be things like this. Where do I want to go to lunch today? Or are the Astros going to win the championship again? Or where should we go on vacation? Or what do I want to wear today? 
I mean, those are the questions that we ask. Those are the things that we look at. You know, we, we read in the, in the book of Job. The book of Job, on the other hand, it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable because sometimes we get superstitious about the book and we think that every time that we read this book, something bad's going to happen to us. Or that, you know, it's very difficult and others of us don't like the book because it asks some very difficult questions. Like, if God loves me, then why is there pain in my life? If God loves me, then why am I dealing with this? And as I've been reading Job through this book, uh, a notion has hit me that um, the book of Job is uncomfortable And maybe we're supposed to wrestle with these difficult questions. I mean, I also have this idea that maybe difficult times aren't supposed to be things that we try to avoid. But maybe things that we embrace. See, the book of Job is not a book for shallow people. It's a book about going deeper with God. See, this week I want to deal with this question. Would we serve God for nothing? If we didn't get anything out of it, would we still serve God? There was a young boy, about eight years old, and he went into this mom and pop corner grocery store. And and, uh, he was picking picking out a, a pretty big box of laundry detergent. And the fellow who owned the shop, he come up and he said, um, man, that's a big box of uh, detergent. He said, you got some laundry to do? A lot of laundry? And he said, no, sir, actually I don't. He said, oh, no? He said, what, what are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going I'm to wash my hamsters. And he said, well, I, I don't know if you want to do that. He said, that's, that's pretty harsh. It, it may not be good for those hamsters. It might even, you know, kill them. And... Uh, but the boy wouldn't be stopped, so he bought the, the detergent and um, went about washing his hamsters. So he came in about a week later, and uh, he, the, the fellow noticed him in there, and, and uh, he went in to buy some candy, and he goes up to him, and, and he asked about the hamsters. He said, well, how, how are your hamsters doing? And he said, well, they died. And, you know, not wanting to be the I told you so kind of guy... You know, he said, well, um, I tried to not tell you not to use that detergent on those hamsters. And he said, well, I don't think it was a detergent that killed them. He said, well, what was it then? He said, well, after I washed them, he said, I realized that they needed to be dried. And he said, I put them in the dryer, and the dryer must have been a, a little too hot for them. Plus, they had lots of hurdles to jump. And then he added, but I must say, they came out without static cling. (laughs) Oh, yeah, boo, I got it. Hey, quite honestly, we can identify with those hamsters. We've been through a grueling wash cycle, and we feel like we're about to die on those hurdles in the dryer. And we wonder, what in the world is God doing? Can I trust God? 
Can I trust him? See, the, the devil is suspicious of our service and our reverence to God. He would love it if we would worship him. But the idea is, is we worship God. He is our God. And from the very beginning, the devil has been a master of suspicion. In his very first dealings with men, he insulted the integrity of Almighty God. We ought not to be surprised then when the devil begins to talk to God about man. That he insulted the integrity of man. See, in reference to God's highest compliment of Job... God's highest compliment of him. The devil implied that neither Job nor any other person would serve God except for the benefits that God gives us. Read with me. Job chapter 1. I want to read just a few verses here. Beginning in verse 6. It says, Now there was a day... When the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Verse 11 says, Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Verse 11, But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So I ask the question, Did Job serve God for nothing. It's not a bad question. I mean, why do we serve God? Why do we serve God? I mean, this is a question we need to face. I mean, what would you do with God? What would you do with your loyalty to God if you were not to succeed? If you were not going to succeed, if you were not successful, I mean, suppose you, you failed epically. Suppose you failed miserably. And suppose your family should bitterly disappoint you or you should be riddled with disease and suffering. Suppose that your life didn't turn out the way you expected it to, that you had hoped what do you do with your faith in God then? Do we serve God for nothing? I mean, will we serve God even if we are immersed in suffering? See, I don't believe there's ever been a person on earth, in the history of the earth, who suffered like Job, maybe with the exception of the Lord Jesus. 
But we see the suffering of Job, and he knew the pain of poverty. He lost all of his possessions, and tragically, he lost all of his possessions. Like the the crash of the world's greatest stock market. All that he had was suddenly swept away. And he was utterly destitute, completely poor. And he lost his family too. All in one big swoop. See, we can, we can get along pretty good when the world crashes around us if we know that we can find relief and comfort in those closest to us. If we can gather our people around us that, that, will, that will comfort us, then we're going to be okay. But what if our people are gone too? What if all that we have is gone See, that's what Job lost. He lost all of his possessions. He lost everything that he had. And he lost his family. Gone. Job knew the the torture of physical pain. He was afflicted with some ancient vile disease that left him scratching and itching his his body so that the, 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 the sores allowed the blood just to flow. Think about it. How miserable to constantly be itching. From prosperity to poverty. From a wonderful family to complete loneliness. He lost all, even his health. Would we still serve God for nothing? What would happen to Job's faith now? You know, John Sutherland Bunnell, he said that the sharpest test of the quality of a person's faith comes when his happiness, his health, and possessions are threatened. This test, said Bunnell, is so savage that it is like acid poured out onto gold. Many people go in the middle of suffering and they they say something like, I no longer believe in God. I'm giving up the faith in this stuff. C.S. Lewis said before he became a Christian, he said, man's history is largely a record of crime, of war, of disease and terror. If you ask me to believe that this is the work of a benevolent and all-powerful spirit, I reply that all of the evidence points in the opposite direction. Bertrand Russell, he denied a personal God. He said that if God is personal then he has some kind of fiendish delight in sending sun after sun crashing into the center of man's happiness like the mischievous boy that is pushing over his sister's blocks on the beach and then laughing while she cries out of her disappointment. Folks, this is the kind of God that many people see. They believe, their eyes, that's what they view God as. Would we serve God for nothing? See, the devil, in effect, is saying, take away everything you've given Job, and he will curse you. He will no longer serve you. Take away all of it. Will he continue to serve you? See, the devil might be right about some people, but was he right about Job? 
See, it says us, it tells us in this passage that Job questioned, that he, that he grew impatient as we continue to read in Job. But the scripture says, if, if you turn the page in my Bible to, to verse 20, it says, Then Job arose and he tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He worshipped God. See, in all of this, even though his health was taken away, even though his family was taken away, even though all of his possessions were taken away, it says that he tore his mantle, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground, and he worshipped God. See, in this, Job did not sin, and he did not accuse God foolishly, even in the midst of his suffering. So secondly, would I, let me ask this question. Would we serve God if our friends all left us? If, we le- if they just left us alone? You know, one of life's most precious possessions is our friends. I mean, in the Bible, the glory of personal, intimate friendships is evident. It's shown in, the, in Scripture. I mean, Jehu came to his friend and said, Is your heart true to my heart? As mine is to yours. Wow. David, as he fled the wrath of Saul, found friendship in Saul's son, Jonathan. Paul, on the brink of despair, he wrote about a friend who, has, who had blessed his life. The writer of the book of Hebrews, excuse me, the book of Proverbs was right when he said this, There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Ulysses S. Grant. He said, the friend of my adversity I will always cherish the most. I can better trust those who have helped me relieve the gloom of my dark hours than those who are so ready to enjoy with me the sunlight of my prosperity. Folks, it's those friends that are there in the doom and gloom. It's those friends that are there to walk with you through that that we count as true friends. Not the ones who are there necessarily when the party's on. But the one when your best friend dies. And they show up so that you will not be alone. Longfellow said, oh how good it feels. The hand of an old friend. Oliver Wendell Holmes Fame is the scentless flower of gaudy crowns of gold, but friendship is the breathing rose with sweetness in every fold. Oh, that's friendship. Would we serve God if our friends all left us? See, sometimes we who serve God must stand alone, painfully, Terribly alone. Daniel stood alone. Virtually in the midst of a whole pagan nation. He stood alone. Noah. He stood alone as he built the ark. And was ridiculed and mocked. See there's a lonely stance. In the word of Martin Luther. When he said here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Jesus, 
Jesus knew loneliness. When the crowd ridiculed him and his own did not even understand him and they all but deserted him as they walked far behind in the distance. And the truth is, is that when you are devoted to God and to truth, there are times in this life when we must stand terribly alone. Would we serve God if all of our friends left us? Job lost his friends too. They came and they sat and they looked at him, accusing him of being a a terrible sinner. They increased Job's suffering, causing him to lament, even my friends scourge me. Even my friends afflict me. Even my friends torment me. See, the devil suggested that a man will not serve God if God takes away all of his friends, all of his blessings, and the things that God gives to him. He may be right about some people, but was he right about Job? A third question. Would we serve God when God is silent? See, I believe that the darkest suffering of Job's experience was the silence of God. I believe that the darkest time for any of us is that hour when God seems to be silent, when it seems to us that He doesn't even seem to care. We're knocking on the door and nobody's answering. We're seeking Him and we don't hear a word from God. We want Him and we want God to to speak up. I mean, if God had just answered some of Job's questions. I mean, if if God had just intervened between him and his friends to answer their criticism. Even though Job had, had wished that he were dead. And he cried out to God during night, during the night and during the day. Though he pleaded for an advocate to bring and draw him and God together, God was evidently silent. Painfully silent. There isn't any suffering like the silence of God. You remember John the Baptist out there in the wilderness preaching repentance. People following him. Herod has him put into prison. He's sitting in prison waiting. And he sends messengers to Jesus. Not just because he likes the outdoors and he wanted his freedom. He sent messengers to Jesus because he wanted Jesus to speak up. Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? Are you the one who is coming to take over? Are you the one who is going to deliver your people? Because if you are, then you need to speak up now. Because they're going to chop my head off next week. And I need to hear a word from you. I can't even imagine. I would imagine that John the Baptist was saying, why doesn't he come and release me from this prison, from this suffering? But recognize this, that the silence of God was a key issue also at the crucifixion of Christ. 
When Jesus bore our sin, and when He carried our sorrows, suddenly the sun began to hide its face. The shadows of the darkest, blackest darkness covered the world. The skies closed up. There were only the shrieks and the curses and the tears at the foot of the cross. And there was that cry of anguish and pain. My God. My God. Why? Why? There was no answer. There was no, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It was the silence of God. And it seemed that God did not or could not speak as if he were blind and could not see the plight of his own as if he were helpless and could not move to save Jesus. Obviously, on this side, we know that God had a bigger plan. Would we serve God if God is silent? Now, the German preacher, Thielicki, he said, often the silence of God is God's higher thought. For suddenly God did speak to Job. But notice, he didn't answer any of Job's questions. He didn't answer his questions. He didn't explain the mystery of suffering. Rather, he underlined his own sovereignty. This is what Almighty God said to Job in Job 38. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? We think we're so smart, don't we? Who is this that that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man. And I will ask you and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for glory? He's saying, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? You're so smart. You have all these questions. You have this knowledge. You tell me. Where were you? You see... Job suddenly realized that it's not God who has to answer. It's us who have to answer to God. This is what Job's response was in Job 42. He said, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I do not understand, 
Things too wonderful for me which I do not know. Hear now, listen now, and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Notice those words. Therefore, I retract and I repent. Job was blameless and upright according to God's own words. He was blameless and upright. And when he was questioned by God, he said, You know what? I'm sorry, I retract and I repent. I repent. So here's the heart of the matter. We cannot judge God always by our circumstances. We see Him through our circumstances, through our pain, through our suffering. We see Him through our circumstances. But we cannot judge God through our circumstances. Sometimes we have to come to the border of human despair. I mean, because as long as we're great in our own eyes, until we become little, we can never see the greatness of God. Our biggest problem is us. See, know this, that God cares for his own, even in the shadows. Sometimes the stinging pain of suffering, disappointment and trial seems to cover the face of God. But for us that have met him, for us that know him, we can be confident that God is there. In Romans 8 it says, for he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also freely give us all things? God knows what's best for us. Those things that, are, that, are, that we're going through, those trials, those tribulations, those sufferings, they are for our good. We may not see it, We may not understand it, but it is for our good. And here's the end of the matter. We ought not to serve God for what we get out of God. We ought to serve God for who He is. It's because we love God. It's because we want to give our best to God. It's because... Yes, what he has done for us in reconciling us back to himself. But we should love God for who he is. The creator. The sustainer. The giver of life. See, I encourage you this morning in the midst of life's trials. When that flood comes in and takes you off your feet. 
in the midst of the circumstances, in the midst of the disappointments, to put your hand in God's hand and continue to march on. Will you serve God for nothing? We ought to. We ought to. James writes this. He says, we ought to rejoice in our tribulations. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. James also writes in chapter 5, verse 11, We count those blessed who endured. We have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. You know, as as surely as God has judged great civilizations in the past and brought them to their knees and allowed others to take over, God will judge us for our sin. We need to respond like Job did. We need to retract and repent. John says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need the Lord Jesus. We need him in our lives. We need him in our homes. We need him in our schools. We need him in our nation. We need him in our government. We need him everywhere. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you. I thank you for the suffering that each of us goes through. Some of us through our health. Others through our wealth and our possessions. Father, some through our friends and relationships. But Father, the bottom line is we need you. Father, I pray that we as your people would see our desperate need for you. And God, that you would take us like you did Job. And Father, in all of his questioning and all of his anxiety and all of his, his pain, Father, he trusted you. And Father, you brought him through that and blessed his life even more in the latter days than you did in the first days. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have this same attitude that Job had. 
Father, that we would not have pity parties, that we would not say, why do I have it so bad? But Father, in the midst of our suffering, we would press into you. And God, we would say, you teach us. Help us. Give us the faith that we need to trust you more. Father, I pray that a great repentance would come over the church in America. I pray, Father, for a great awakening. I pray for repentant hearts among your people. Father, we know what your word says. That if your people who are called by your name would humble themselves and pray and seek your face. Father, that then we would turn from our wicked ways and you would heal our land. God, I pray that healing for our land. But I ask God that you would convict our hearts. That your Holy Spirit would take us to a place of repentance. Father, we are such an arrogant, stiff-necked, proud people. God, I pray for humility among believers. Father, I pray that that would be so today. May it begin in your house, in this place, for your glory and your honor. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.